no end in sight with whatever it is, or I, I just kind of continue to have struggle, uh, to have struggles this way. But I want to remind you that the, the who is this King of the Glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Amen. Um, and I wanted to, wanted you. Well, you know what? We're going to take a little while to get there. Uh, <clears throat> whenever we read in the Book of Matthew, it is so easy to kind of forget where we are in the story of mankind. But, you know, we have all the Old Testament. We have 400 years of absolute silence for God from God where there is absolutely nothing going on. There is, there is no new revelation from God for 400 years. And in the story of the book of Matthew, in the very first chapter, he goes and he puts forward this genealogy of Jesus and he says, I know the one who is the descendant of Abraham and the rightful king over the throne of David and he is Jesus, the Messiah, and he's come. Right there in chapter 1 of, of, of Matthew, I love it. After all of this time, after all of this waiting, and after all the turmoil of all the Old Testament with the Israelites um, and all of their failures, and then, and then all of a sudden Matthew comes and he says, and, and I know the man, and he is the one that's been promised since the time of Abraham. He is the one who's come, and it is the Lord Jesus who is the Messiah. Um, but let me back up just a little bit before that. Um, this struggle that has been going on in your life and my life over sin has been happening since Genesis, right? Right. You, you know what I'm talking about. Since, because God had appointed Adam in Genesis chapter 1 as the ruler over creation. He had put him in as a governor or, or uh, 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 over all of creation, and he appointed him, and he gave him authority to rule over creation. Well, tell me what happens in chapter 3. Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent and they choose to disobey God and to do what the servant tempts them to do because they think that it will make them more like God, have a better understanding and, and be more like God in that way um, and that, that they, will, uh, they will have a better understanding about God. And what, uh, let me not get too far ahead of myself. From that time forward though, all of creation had fallen under the governance of Satan. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you a little quote here. From, uh, this is from uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this. Um, Christianity agrees. He was talking about dualism and some other things, but I'll, I'll just cut to the chase here. This universe is at war, but it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. You see what he's saying is, he says, it's a, the world is at war, and it's not like these two independent powers that come together from different parts of the universe. He says, the enemy stepped in and stole, or tried to steal, what was rightfully God's all along. And so basically the argument is this, is that when Adam and Eve fell, Satan came into power over creation. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that he overthrew God or anything like that, but, but, we, but somehow, in some way, in the spiritual realm, Satan stepped in into man's rightful place and authority over the universe. And so, just by the way, what we needed was for a human being to be able to stand up and take back what was rightfully given us by God in the order of the universe, where God was over all, and he had given authority of mankind over over the earth. It, yeah, very, I know this is very different from many sermons I preach. I apologize. Very, very, very different. But anyway, but I, I promise I'll get, to the, I'll, get to, uh, I'll get to it here in just a moment. So, so what we read is, is that, and so because of the fall of Adam, all of creation was put under the bondage 
and, and uh, under the bondage of, of Satan. And um, yeah, because of that. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote this. He's talking to the Ephesians and he said, what you used to be before you were in Jesus Christ is you were under the, the, um, the, the bondage of Satan. And, and he's talking about who, who they once were before they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a reference to Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, um, all of us used to live among, oh, I'm sorry, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sin, sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath in Ephesians chapter 2. Now real quickly in Romans chapter 8, which I skipped, Jason, sorry about that. For the, so this is, this is Paul writing in Romans about a time in the future when, 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 when we people will be put in our right place over the creation. Okay, weird, I know. Right, you and this has perplexed you some, right? Anyone look at what Jesus gets as, you know, Jesus is, gets in, in his authority and because of his obedience to die on the cross, he is placed in, in that position where he is in authority over all of creation, right? And then Paul talks about something about, and we are co-heirs with him. Is that confusing to you? Yeah, yeah, here's, this is it. This is the deal. It's because in God's created order, he is God and supreme and sovereign over everything. And then mankind is his governor over the rest. How about that? Isn't that crazy? Crazy to think of, isn't it? But anyway, look what Romans chapter 8, what Paul writes in there. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's that saying? This is incredible. But that's saying that your salvation and my salvation has universal impacts. What God is doing is restoring more than the human race. He's taken all that was lost in the fall and he's making it new. Right, all the things that happened after after the fall, where the, where the universe started to de- to decay, where we we had hardship in the world and sickness and illness and weeds and all that stuff, all those things, God is making new through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your salvation and my salvation is a small part of what God is doing to make everything new again. Yeah. Big picture enough for you? Okay, yeah. Sorry, maybe too big picture. Uh, but, but that's where I, I wanted to remind you that that's where we're at here whenever you're reading through the book of Matthew is that God's intent and God's purpose is that Jesus would be born into a land that was under bondage to Satan and that God and that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would overcome him. You remember... Uh, you remember the, when the curse is given in Genesis chapter 3? I didn't give all this. Maybe I should have. In Genesis chapter 3, there's a prophecy given to Eve, and it, sa- and it says that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. Well, here it comes. The Lord Jesus has come, it to, and he has come, and he will win the victory over Satan to take back and to plunder everything that, that Satan had rebelled and taken right? Jesus Christ would be victorious in taking back. Amen? Okay, big picture enough for you? Listen, don't, 
Listen, don't lose the awe when you read this book. I know you've read Matthew a a million times, but don't lose the awe of what's happening here. God is moving in ways that we can just barely touch the tip of the iceberg to understand the depths of all that he's doing. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Matthew chapter 4. This is, so here it is. This is the first big showdown between, I mean, this is like high noon uh, at the corral, right? This is, this is high noon that where it's going to happen where, where Jesus and Satan for the first time are really meeting, and it's really a pretty incredible time. Don't lose, don't lose the importance of this. Don't, don't forget the importance of what I'm talking about here. This is the Lord Jesus, the glorious king who would come meeting Satan for the first time. Okay, this has happened before. This happened actually many times. There's something about God where he likes to uh, allow his people to be tempted and tested by Satan to prove um, their faith and to reward it, and, and in some cases. So the first time it happened when the, with the first man, Adam, tell me what happened. He failed, right? Adam sinned. What we needed was a man who could stand up to Satan and to say, I will not take your temptation. I'm going to choose the way of obedience instead, and I will not fall then under your authority. I will not submit myself to you. I'm going to submit myself to God. We needed the man to come in and stand up to Satan and says, I will not bow to your authority or your sovereignty. I will only bow to the sovereignty of the Lord God, who is the true God. Amen? Okay. So that's what's going on here in the temptation of Jesus. This is a big deal Okay, uh, okay. so in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Uh, interesting, isn't it? The Lord led him into the Spirit, or the Lord led him by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This had happened also with the Israelites. It happened, of course, with Adam and Eve. Happens in your life and my life too, amen? Okay, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, obviously, right? He was hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, I just want to point out to you what's happened. You know, Jesus has been at the temple. Jesus was baptized by John. Satan doesn't come to him and tempt him there. Did you notice that? He tempts him when he's alone, needy, hungry, and tempts him with you're hungry. You should just turn these rocks into bread and then you could eat, right? Satan's that way, isn't he? He's a very scheming enemy. He, he's looking at, for, for at times when you're at your weakest and at times when you're alone to try to trip you up and to, and to, and to, take, you into, into, to t- take you captive into his scheme, right? This is the way he works. He is a very scheming, very intelligent being. And yes, he's real and he has minions, right, that, that, uh, that, that follow him as well. Uh, but but that's, how, that's how it happens. He doesn't tempt him in the temple. He doesn't tempt him at the baptism. But when he's hungry, when he's fasted for 40 days, he comes to him and says, turn these stones to bread. Now, Jesus' answer, and of course, you know, you guys have heard this a jillion times, but every time Jesus responds with what? Don't let me scare you into not talking. Yeah, he's, he, he responds with Scripture. It's important. Two things I think are important about, about that. One is, is that he knows the Scripture, and you've had that pounded in your head if you've been a good little Baptist all your, all your life. You've had that pounded in your head many, many sermons, right? The other thing, though, that's so important is that, and Jesus followed the Scriptures. That's often a big dis- distinction between Jesus and us, right? So not only did Jesus know the Scriptures to quote them, but he also said, and because God said this, I'm not following for your temptation, I will not choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to be obedient to what I know God wants for me. All right. 
Um, okay, verse 4. As Jesus answered, as it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just real quickly, wait, what does that mean? What does Jesus' response mean? Satan tempted him, turn, you're hungry, turn this bread, turn these stones into bread, not the other way around, that would be weird. It wouldn't be helpful. But it turned these stones into bread and, and eat. And Jesus, what does Jesus' response tell you? A couple things. What? Yeah, I'm going to trust the Father for my life. I, I'm not going to take this into my own hands because I know, he doesn't say it, but it sounds like what he's getting at is, that I know I've been called to fast here. I know I've been called to fast here. Why might the Lord Jesus be called to fast here? Because it was God's intention to make Jesus feel all that it is to be human, including extreme hunger, weakness, vulnerability, solitude, and aloneness. And Jesus was there to experience that at this moment, right? And so Satan comes along and says, wow, aren't you hungry? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And, 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 uh, and, and Jesus basically says, I will trust in the Lord. I, I will trust God. And besides that, he also says, and my, my need is not so much for food. My need is from God. And I tell you, I love, this is the verse I have in mind every time I fast. Every time I fast and, I, and my stomach gets upset with me, every time I fast, I, this, this is what comes to mind. I need God more than I need food. And fasting is such a wonderful reminder. I would encourage you to fast occasionally, uh, to fast regularly even, because it, it is a very simple reminder of what we all need. I am dependent upon the Lord for every breath, for every meal, for everything in my life. That puts us in such a great position to be praying. Amen? Because then we know, wait, it's not up to my you know, intelligence. It's not up to my wisdom. It's not up for anything about how I live, about how safe my children are. It's not because I can control it. It's because I'm dependent upon God and his goodness toward me and my family. Amen? Just a great reminder. Okay, that was free. Um, no charge for that one. Um, but anyway, let's, let's continue on. So uh, verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, probably the point of the temple that oversaw kind of a, a valley, and took him and, and he could see all of Jerusalem behind him and an and open field for miles in front of him. And, and he told him, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What is Satan tempting Jesus with here? The first one is he was tempting his dependence or his reliance upon the Lord to say, no, you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. You're going to have to feed yourself here because God can't be trusted. What's he saying in this second? What's the temptation here? You know, a, a lot of what, what happens here in the temptation of Jesus is so apt to, to um, interpretation because there's just not a lot, of, a lot of detail given, a lot more detail. But it sounds like to me, what Satan is tempting is to, to tell Jesus, prove that you're the Messiah. Prove that you're the one that's written about here in this psalm. Prove to me, prove to yourself, prove to everyone that you're the one who's prophesied here. Prove that you're the anointed one. Show us. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You like that? Don't like that? Okay. Uh, so, and, and, and also, but there, and there's maybe a second part of it, is that will God take care of Jesus? Will God, will God protect him or will he 
be vulnerable and and will he you know or will he be vulnerable or not and so uh, but Jesus answered him it is also written do not put the lord your god to the test from Deuteronomy and so Jesus responds again with scriptures and and you know the thing about the scriptures is you got to know when to apply them you got to have the wisdom to apply them and a lot of that comes by the holy spirit you know the bible says a lot when do you apply what verses i, I believe what the scripture teaches is that it's only by the holy spirit that we know how to reply so anyway Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, knows what to apply when. Uh, not only knows the Bible, knows, but knows by the Holy Spirit what to apply when. And says, do not put your Lord your God to the test. In other words, I'm not here to test God. I'm not here to jump off the building and see if he'll catch me. All right, okay. In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a, what a deal. Maybe a little bit of argument as to whether or not Satan had this kind of authority. We do know because of the way Satan's referred to in the New Testament is that God had given him, allowed him some limited authority over the earth, right? Now, right, at any time, right, God could do anything he wanted to. Swallowed Satan up in a hole in the ground if he wanted to. That's not what he says is going to happen. Well, not yet. Amen. But, um, uh, but, 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 what, but God can do anything he wants, so, but, and he's given Satan some limited authority over the earth. And so, yeah, can, does Satan have all this authority or not? I don't know. We could debate that. It doesn't really matter. The point of the story is this morning is what Satan was saying. You know, what was God's plan for Jesus? That he would be exalted above all creation, all power, all rule, and all authority. And Satan is giving him a knockoff. He's giving them new coke. You know what I mean? Where we have we have real Coke, and then this this is new Coke. This is the this is the um, what's that word? This is the the alternative, the um, the fake, the what? The substitute. That's close. Yeah, this is the alternative, the fake. Where he says, "I'll give it to you." I think the temptation here for Jesus was what is that he knew his destiny. He knew that 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 what God was calling him to was to rule over everything. What Satan was offering was rule over all the world with no suffering. You could rule over all the world and not suffer, right? Uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, perhaps that's, what, that's what, um, what, he's, what he's calling to. But Jesus knows God's plan. Jesus knows what he's intended for. And his intention, God's intention for him was that he would be exalted, but not before he suffered and was humiliated. He would be exalted because he was obedient to what God had called him to do. All right, and Satan is calling him and said, you worship me and I will, you know, we'll sprint to the finish. I'll give you the, I'll give you the ends um, here. Uh, I'll give you the reward without having to do, go through any of, the, any of the suffering. And Jesus responds, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Just one quick question and then we'll kind of go on. What had happened, what would have happened if, if Jesus had failed in this last temptation in particular. Satan's rule would never be broken. We would be forever in our, in our sin. There would be no victory over the devil. There would be no victory over our sin. There would be no one who could stand to Satan's temptation and say, no, thank you, I choose to follow and be obedient to the Lord. This is a 
big chapter, right? This is, this is huge. What's happened here is that this human race finally has someone who can stand before Satan and say, I don't care what you put in front of me. I don't care how you try to worry me. I don't care how you try to scare me. I don't care how you try to get me to second guess whether or not God has what's best for me or not. I will trust him and I will follow him and I will not submit to you or your temptation. Amen? It's finally happened. After, you know, a few thousand years of history, someone, the Lord Jesus, finally can stand before the Lord and say, I will not be tempted by you. Yeah? Okay. So, uh, I wonder where I'm at. Uh, Yeah, so... So... As you go on reading the book of Matthew, you're going to read about one of the great things of the Gospels is that they start rolling out and they start showing Jesus' power and authority and victory. And and this is the king of glory. He is strong and he is mighty. And you're going to see him walk into places where people would have been bound by Satan for all their life or for years or decades. And he's going to come into them and the demons are going to tremble before him and say, what would you do to us, right? Because they know this is the king of glory. This is the one who was not given in to sin, and he will have the victory over Satan and all of his schemes against God's people. Amen? Amen? And so you're going to see him cast out demons. It's not even a fair fight. I mean, I'm glad it's not, but it's not like this war between God and Satan, and Satan is just as powerful. It's not that way. When Jesus comes, they tremble at his feet because he is the victorious king, the king of glory who overcame temptation and ultimately will overcome and kick uh, Satan out of his place of, of, of authority. Um, and let's read that real quick. In John chapter 14, let me read this to you real quick. Um, John chapter 14, this is, this is the time where the disciples are together for the Last Supper, and this is one of the things that Jesus says to his disciples about what's coming up in his crucifixion. He says, now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up, from the earth, I will draw all men to himself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. There are several places in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 where Jesus is talking specifically about the crucifixion and about how the crucifixion would be used by God to completely overcome, to completely thwart the authority and the plans and the schemes of Satan, where the schemes of Satan would no longer have any effect on the children of God because they were no longer condemned guilty for being a temptable people, for falling for his schemes. But God would remove all of our sin and all of our guilt, and we would no longer be under the judgment of the Old Testament law or the holiness of God. Amen? Amen. You follow me? Am I making too many turns here this morning? All right. Um, So here's what I want to leave you with today. I, I, I know that you're going to fall into sin at times, and I know I'm going to fall into sin at times. But the great news of the New Testament is that we're not destined to be defeated by sin. Amen? We are destined to overcome because the Lord Jesus has overcome the tempter. He's overcome him. And, and, and part of what we got to do is that whenever you're tempted, would you bring, go ahead and bring up Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16? Let me just read that. Um, so, so what we read about this morning, the, the writer of Hebrews 
talks about. He says, this is the importance of what we saw in Matthew chapter 4, right? This is the important part about, about Matthew chapter 4, about the temptation of Jesus, is this, is that now Jesus has overcome it all, and we're going to get to, to all the other things that Jesus has overcome this month, but, but, but through Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is exalted to the highest place above all creation, above all authority, above all principalities and powers, even the ones that are in the heavens. And now he sits as high priest for you and me, interceding for, to the Father for you and I, pleading with the Father to, 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 to show us his goodness. And he says this about this temptation about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, high priest who is an, a, unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet it was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, when you and I are tempted in sin, one of the things we have to remember is that Jesus Christ was in a place of vulnerability just like you. Jesus Christ was in a place where he was in need and, and, and was tempted to wonder about whether or not the Lord would continue to be good to him, about whether or not God did, could be trusted to help him with, with his need for food, to help him trust him for his need for security. You know, the Lord Jesus was tempted in all of those ways. And so we have a, a high priest. We have the Lord Jesus who is in heaven today interceding for us and inviting us into the, into the throne of mercy, uh, into the throne room of, uh, of mercy for what? For help for us in our time of need. When you're tempted, he says, come. I know what it's like to be needy. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to feel vulnerable. I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like when people turn from you. I know what it's, I know what it's like to be tempted. And he says, and I'll come along beside you because I intercede for you before the Father. Always make an intercession. In other words, he's always coming before the Father. And he said, show them your mercy. Show them your goodness because my life my perfect life has been given to them, and now they are, they are your sons, and they are your daughters. And so instead of approaching the throne of God as an enemy, we approach the throne of God as a son and a daughter. And he says, and you will find help there in your time of need. Fantastic, isn't it? A- amazing and wonderful, and I've kept you too long today. So, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish up. Who, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Let's do it again. Who is this king of glory? Strong and mighty. He is mighty to help us overcome sin in our lives. Amen. We're going to continue to struggle with this, but over time, uh, over time, the Lord is going to help us, and we're going to see his strength and his favor because he's the one who's overcome all the temptations of the enemy. Amen. Amen. Let's do this. I need, uh, let's see, Sabrina and Jennifer, you want to come up for a moment? We got, a, we got a chance to visit with Sabrina here a couple of weeks ago. She wanted to, uh, to visit and really wanted to, to dedicate her life to follow. Come, come on over. Come on over. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. Really wanted to dedicate her life to, um, to following the Lord better. Really wants to see some real change happen in her life. So uh, I want to ask you guys, if, if you would commit to Sabrina and to pray for her, uh, and to pray um, for the Lord's help in, in following through on what the Lord's asking her to do. Would you stand with me if, if you'll commit to that? And then we're going to take some time and pray for her, and then uh, we'll do that and we'll be dismissed today, all right? So, um, would you come up there? Yeah, we 
Okay, all right. Jennifer said she doesn't like to talk in front of people, but she'll pray for us here today. So Jennifer's going to pray for us very well. Thank you.